Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. So glad you stopped by. We hope that as you listen to today's sermon, the Holy Spirit through his word will refill you, recharge you, and equip you for the rest of your journey with him. Listen to today's sermon. I would like to... Uh, in the next few minutes, share with us a real situation of Jesus Christ and how he shared compassion with his people or the people around him to advance the community in which he was in. Hopefully, this will set a tone for us to find ways in which we can also connect with the community in which we live. Thank you. Could you turn your Bibles to Matthew 14? Matthew 14. I think I like to read almost everything in the, in the chapter because it's the basis of the text. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias. His, brothers, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill him. But he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced to the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, She said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed. But because of his oath and his dinner guest, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took the body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages nearby to buy themselves some food. Then Jesus replied, please take note of this as well. They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men besides women and children. Amen. We've heard this 
many times for some of us, maybe some people for the first time. But studying through this chapter, we pick a lot of learnings from there that I believe would be good for our reflection today. As the church begins to take some steps towards building a community of love and compassion. My first learning here is that there was a crisis. There was a crisis. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was beheaded. The man who baptized him, many considered the Messiah. And so he actually stood up and said, no, I'm not a Messiah. This man was in prison and was beheaded to please the king's daughter. John's disciples buried him and then sent news forward to Jesus. That must be a very difficult moment for Jesus. So like every man or any man here, you would want to retreat, get away into a solitary place. Either weep, mourn, or ask God questions, as we would always do. So the Bible tells us here that Jesus got into a boat and decided to go away to a solitary place. While he got there, the crowds were already waiting for him there because they knew he was going away. I would have thought Jesus would tell his disciples to ask for a day off, a couple of maybe weeks off to mourn. But this is what the Bible tells us, that immediately he saw them, he had compassion and began healing their sick. What do we do when we are under pressure or stress? Do we block out everybody? Do we cut out everybody, including our family, our church, our community, the people around us, because we have a situation that we, are, we want to deal with? Jesus has just lost a very mighty man of the kingdom. But he took time to notice people. He took time to notice the sick, the poor, the needy, and the people who had come to him. I was wondering why they came. Did they follow just to see how Jesus would react to this bad news? Did they follow to get their healings? What could be the reason? The Bible doesn't say, but they all came. We don't know why many of us are here today, but we are here. We don't know why people wake up in the morning and join the trotters or get into the buses, but they are out there on the fields, working or trying to survive. People gathered and later on, we learned that there were over 5,000 5, men, without counting women and children, by the end of the day. But Jesus took time to notice them. And out of his look, he saw that people needed to be healed. He had to do something. He put aside all his challenges, all his issues, and decided to attend to them. There's a big learning for us here. It was a time of crisis, but Jesus still found time to pause and see. Then he saw that some of the people were sick. And he began to do his work. I want us to reflect on this again. But what we will do or how we will handle situations like this when we are in crisis and we see people in need. The third thing I learned from here is that in a crisis situation, Jesus still had time for compassion for others. 
This was a time that people would think he would need it most because it's related to him. He's a mighty man of the kingdom. It was a big blow to the church at that time or to all the disciples and Christians. This is a time that Jesus would want to hide. But in time of crisis, he still had time to look into the souls and hearts of men. Can we do that? Can we emulate that? There's an argument whether it was the same day or it was a few days after, but it was the same period. From what I read, it probably was the same day. Bible tells us in verse 14 here that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion and began to heal them. I tried to look up compassion, which most of us know already, and it says that it's a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and misfortunes of others. I looked up at some synonyms. Some of the words were interesting. And it flows through the whole of Jesus' ministry. And everything he did came out of this. There was pity, which I don't really like. <laughs> but it's here. Sympathy. Fellow feeling. Empathy. Understanding. Care. Concern. Solicitude. Sensitivity. Tender-heartedness. Warm-heartedness. Even warmth. Hugs, concern for one another. Love, which is a big one in here. Brotherly love. I don't know why they put love and brotherly love. This is a dictionary, by the way. Tenderness, gentleness, mercy, underline that. Tolerance, kindness, humanity, humaneness, kind heartedness, charity benevolence. Whichever word you choose here, compassion for me is equals to love. And out of love, all these things flow. Mercy, kindness, compassion, whatever it is, it all boils down to the same love. The same love that moved Jesus to the cross. Further study reveals that Almost all of Jesus' miracles was hinged around these same words. Feeding 4,000 men in the next chapter was another situation. He had compassion for them and decided to heal them and fed them. Healing the 10 lepers. They cried out to Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Pity. Jesus had compassion. Stopped and healed them. Healing the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible tells her that she suffered over 12 years with this issue. From doctor to doctor, nothing happened. But when she heard that Jesus was in town, she stretched, did everything to touch the hem of Jesus' garments. Jesus felt virtue leave him. Then he asked, who touched me? Who touched me? This lady came trembling, trembling with fear, not knowing what would happen, touching without permission. But Jesus said, I want to just quote Jesus' words. It says in Luke 8, 48, My daughter, be of good comfort. It takes a compassionate heart, a caring heart, to want to comfort someone who's trembling in fear. 
I have some friends here whose favorite text is this, a favorite miracle, turning water to wine. This was to save a situation. It's just a party, someone will say, just a wedding, another will say. And he even told his mother that it's not yet time. But mom Mary ignored him and said, do as he says. She knew something had to happen interceded on the behalf of the family that was having the wedding and Jesus gave instructions and it was done to save a wedding situation and embarrassments that could have happened it's out of love compassion consent someone may say it's trivial it's wine after all they can drink water they've had some to drink anyway there's enough food it's time to go home all manner of excuses but Jesus took time to do something about the situation. We all know John 3.16. That is really big. God did it all for us. It was about giving, compassion, our salvation story, rescuing us out of hellfire. He sent his only begotten son. He did something out of love, out of compassion, out of care, maybe out of pity. If you see a soul going into hellfire, I think there's pity in there. You need to do something to rescue. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He endured the cross for us. It was all about compassion, mercy, love, and what we all say, grace. The fourth thing I learned from this is that Jesus took action. So he stopped what he was doing. He looked, understood the situation, had compassion, and then he did something. He took action. There are two points under this. He healed the sick amongst them. And we can do the same. And by faith, we can pray for people in need. People who need to be prayed for or encouraged using the gifts that God has given to us, our spiritual gifts, word of knowledge, wisdom, counseling, even mercy. We can share with them. And Jesus did exactly that. And the other part that he did, or given that he did, was that he fed them. He fed the hungry. And this could be likened to various economic needs or situations. As food, I mean, our busy lives boils down to the most basic of needs, to feed ourselves, to survive. And Jesus took care of this need. And we can do that given what God has given to us spiritually and given what is given to us materially to help solve a situation. He took action. Verse 15 says, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And I read that earlier. They do not need to go away. I learned from here that the work was not yet done. Out of compassion, he was still healing people, ministering unto people. They didn't need to go. The next chapter where he fed 4,000 men, it was about the same thing. That they had followed him for three days and they were hungry. He had compassion for them and provided for them.
I learned the fifth thing here. That whatever we give shall be multiplied. Whatever we give shall be multiplied. So there was a crisis. He looked around. What was available? There was nothing. They looked and looked and they found five loaves and two fish. And that was what was available. There are many excuses you can give. It's little, too little food. I'm going to keep it for the little boy. Let's feed the kids with it and let's fast. Let's declare a seven-day fast or something. There are many things you could say about that situation. In the same way, we may have so many excuses or so many genuine reasons why we will not do what we have to do. Well, I've been told that you do not lay hands on strangers. You do not pray for people you do not know. Oh, I've been told that, hey, you know, you need to be wise. I mean, the money I have will only last for a week, so I cannot share. Oh, I don't have time. I'm going to miss the next bus. There are so many genuine, and they are all good reasons. But what are you willing to sacrifice? If you have compassion and pity for a brother or a sister or a neighbor or someone in your community, you would want to take some action. We learn here in the fifth point, which I shared earlier, is that whatever we give shall be multiplied. So this little out of faith gave thanks and started sharing. They didn't say that it multiplied immediately. Out of that five CDs, started giving one, one, one. Out of that gift, you believe it's such a small, tiny gift in the corner, he started using it. And then it never ran out. It just kept coming and he kept doing, doing the miracle. So the miracle actually happened when action was taken, when a step of faith was taken. And this is a big one for me. Sometimes we just look within what we think we, we are capable of doing and limit it to our own strength and forget that we are doing the master's work. We forget to call on the master to help. And Jesus demonstrated this. He said, he just gave thanks. He didn't panic. He didn't shout. He didn't pray, lay hands for it to multiply immediately. They started sharing that little. And out of that little, 5,000 men, without counting women and children, were fed and there was even left over. That was a big miracle. So as we offer our gifts, talents, time, money, it could be our oil and rice, clothes, we shall never run out and we shall never lack. In Jesus' name. I learned the sixth thing here. It's about service. It was a team that served. The disciples went out and fed the people. It was the same disciples who gathered the leftovers. So they prepared the place, they served, and they cleaned up afterwards. We can all do something. Member, elder, leader, old, young, youth. We are encouraged to serve, and it's not beyond anybody. With the talents and gifts that God has given to us, or even the passion that you have, you can put it into work right here in this church. I'll share with you a short experience. This is a long one normally, but I'll try and put it in just a few paragraphs. Growing up as a teenager, I was exposed to so many teachings, the word and the other world. I had to battle between managing both every single day in my life. 
At the point, I gave up because I knew what was right. I believed the word of God was true and pure, but I knew that I could never fulfill righteousness and I could never make it to heaven because I always judged myself and counted or marked myself almost every night. I lived in constant fear. Each night, I had to weigh, put my life on a scale, weigh the good deeds versus the evil deeds. And if I felt good about the day, I'm like, okay, judgment day, I think I'll pass. Then I can have a sound sleep. But many nights, I knew I was going to hell. I was in constant fear and and, and, um, torment. I had nightmares. I saw I saw the earth end, like the world end many times in my dreams. I thought it was impossible to make it to heaven. I saw the lives of my Christian friends and the closer I got to them, the more I realized that they were just like me in one way or the other. So I concluded that all Christians were fake. You could never be righteous or never be clean. I didn't take church seriously anymore. I would go for social purposes or to please my parents. But later on in my teenage years, my first year in university, I had an invitation to attend a conference, which was a teaching on God's grace, a two evening teaching. There, the Holy Spirit just revealed it all to me in Ephesians 2 8 and all the teachings of Paul about grace, love, salvation. That it was not by my works. It was a free gift from God. And by faith, I am saved. I learned two other things. That on my own, I would never make it. But through the finished work of Christ, I have made it. I had to submit myself to be sanctified. And through time, I gained confidence. But the important thing I want to share with you here today is at that time, how did I spend it? Because that wasn't the first time I'd rededicated my life to Christ or given my life to Christ. What did I do with that time? The church that did this teaching took me in, accepted me just the way I was. And when I went in there, I saw even more broken people than myself. And these were people taken from bushes, people who were addicted to drugs, were homeless people. They brought all of us together and from the senior most to the most junior of persons, I felt that we're all treated the same with equal love, care, appreciation and teaching. If you had a gift, irrespective of your age, it will be put to use. Irrespective of your economic or social background, it will be put to use. I learned to be loved. Many of us during campus days, needed places to live in during holidays. The opportunities to live together in homes supported us to get places to be in and thought us, cared for us. The elders would open their homes to guests. We could walk in, eat and drink and walk away. That community shaped my thinking about faith, about Christianity, about love. And built strong foundations that helped me study the word of God some more. By the grace of God, I'm standing here even preaching or teaching what I have learned. (laughs) 
for me, that experience with those few people made all the difference. Yes, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I see my friends who were in the same community doing so well. They may have nothing in their pocket, but they are the happiest people on earth. Filled with joy, happiness, knowing of, that they have the full assurance of God's love. Can we take time to look in the eyes of our neighbors and say hello? And when they respond, we look deep and find out what the Holy Spirit is telling us about them. And can we gather the strength to do something about their situation? Prayer, a hug, encouragement, a lead to a new job, a call during the week, something. Can we do something about it? Like Jesus did. It's all about service. If we have that mindset, we can do it. I'll share a quick one again. This happened about 30 years ago. I was a young boy at that time. And the firstborn son of a very close friend of my parents got involved in a very bad trouble. If this gentleman hears me calling him a family friend, he'll be very upset. When I meet him today, I'll call him big bro or introduce him to somebody as a cousin because of how close our parents were. Out of greed, bad influence, bad advice, he murdered an American citizen right here in Ghana. He tried to hide the evidence and went away with money that she had. Few, few months down the line, the law caught up with him with the help of the FBI, Interpol. And he was sentenced to death by firing squad. And this is 30 years ago. And that was a very common practice at that time. In prison, he said names would come. A list would come out every now and again. To pick people out and go and execute them. It happened many times. He lived in constant fear of condemnation, damnation. He was just waiting to die. One man, and I have the privilege of knowing this man as well, in his routine prisons, visits, and outreach, went into this guy's cell, ministered unto him out of compassion, sacrifice. He did this. There, he felt the Holy Spirit talk to him and tell him that, one, I know a man who wants to get you out of this place. He said, who is this man? Is he the president's brother? Who is he? Who could this be? Because this guy's dad was a major in the army, highly respected. He had so many contacts. Nothing was happening. So he thought another bigger contact, a general in the army. So this man told him, no, this man is Jesus. He says he wants to get you out of here. You will not be executed. He said, this is not possible. An American citizen? No way. He said, yes, Jesus says you should open up your heart to him and he'll get you out of this place. He received Christ and took him very seriously from that day. He said he fasted and prayed, repented and cried out to God. He held on to this hope. Held on to it. Governments changed and came, changed and came. 19 years later, he was pardoned by the president in 2008. He's a free man. Today, he's an evangelist reaching out to the youth 
who are into drugs and to bad things. He has a prison's ministry himself and he goes to the orphanages supporting and doing compassionate work. Out of one man's compassion, David was saved. If he didn't have the word, maybe he would have been released. Who knows God's plans? But I do not know whether things would have happened the way it has for him to go back into the streets to save people. One man's action led him. And I do not think that this man who went to the prison has saved as many as David has done so far since he's been out over 10 years ago. I'm part of a Christian fellowship and occasionally we try to do some outreaches. Two quick ones. One of them went to a 37 hospital to pray for the sick, give them some gifts and minister to those who would have the opportunity to do. A few people got saved. Many got encouraged in faith that they would be healed. We left some literature on the salvation story and testimonies of um, other people. A week later, we had a call that a young lady had visited another chapter of the fellowship. She had given her life to Christ and said she had turned away from Islam. She just, she's a nurse in the hospital. We didn't minister to her, but she picked the literature, read it in her home, surrendered her life and said, I've been looking for an opportunity to give my life to Christ. She's part of that chapter and I hear she's doing well. Out of that visit of compassion, some work in this lady's heart happened and it's a big victory. Another story, the same group went out to the streets where we saw many young people begging and looking like they needed help. We said, we'll feed them this Saturday and minister to them and understand their situation. We did. About 20 youngsters gave their lives to Christ. I asked them if they'd be happy to come to church with me the next day, Sunday. The three young guys who were very interested said they wish they could, but they do not believe they'll be accepted. I asked why. They said someone came there a month ago or two show them, give them the address to a church. And when they went, they were not received. He said they were not let into the church. I asked why. He said, well, maybe their hair or the way they were dressed. I was heartbroken. And I said, wow, how easy it is for us to chase some big things. And yet the little acts of love and opening our hearts and doors, we neglected. There's a caution for us. I had an appointment with them. The next day, I went to the place where we arranged and they were not there. They didn't show up. I reflected and said, could that experience be so bad? They didn't believe I would come. I lost them. What are we doing as a church, as individuals? One guy sowed the seed, but the other guy, the usher at the gate of the welcome team did not receive these guys. I saw that in my local church before. These same guys were the people who came to know Jesus. And some of them are the biggest evangelists today in that ministry. Can we open up our hearts? I wish to conclude now that the message shared in Matthew 14 is purely about God's grace, the work he has done for us, and charging us to show the same to others out there, including ourselves here. Something we do not deserve, we do not merit. 
but Christ did it for us. I'll summarize by saying that our daily lives might be very busy, yet in moments like this, we ought to pause and look. Spare a moment to reach out compassionately and in love. Take action in situations like that. Whatever God has given you, little or plenty. And expect a multiplier effect when you do that. As you give your time, your resources, God would multiply for you. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Matthew 10, 8. Just the closing part of it. B. Freely you have received. Freely give. Shall we bow down our heads? For many of us, what I've shared may be strange. You may be struggling to do something. You may feel your heart is not right with God in many ways. Let's take this moment to pray and ask God to help us identify areas where we can serve, areas where we can support and build in this community which should, should be more Christ-like than any. Reflect soberly and find out what ways or how you may be led. And if you want to be like Jesus, if you've never invited him into your life, you can wave. The team would note you and speak to you right at the end. Show you what it means to give your life to Christ and to have Jesus live within your heart. And that would make it a lot easier for you to share the same compassion with our brothers and sisters here and out of here. Father, we thank you for this day. As we study your word, we are reminded to be more and more like you. It was a normal day for you, normal business day for you. Hit by crisis, you took time, but compassion and love, you put that above your own time and needs. Help us to be more like you, that many would feel the impact of your love through us. Use us as vessels the people around us in here in our neighborhoods in our workplaces and wherever we go that your kingdom will be glorified in Jesus name Amen We hope this sermon blessed you. If it did, will you consider sharing it with a friend? And if you're in Accra looking for a spirit-filled community to worship with, why don't you join us at Mikado Plaza, Aboni Junction, Accra, on Sundays from 9 to 10.30 a.m. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Accra Church and visit our website, accrachurch.org, for more sermons. God bless you.